As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and the successes or failures, but there's human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games, as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Masao Kobayashi, current co-founder at cut to bits So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Masao. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you for getting up so early to make this possible. 7 a.m. is a very early hour. It doesn't matter what, what excuses we have, whether they're children or it's just it's a convenient time of the day for us. It is still a very early hour and I'm really appreciative of you come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually in the basement. Um, usually I do most of my recordings uh, at, uh, at, my, at my office, but uh, yeah, yeah okay. I'm, I'm not at the office at 7 a.m. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you were, there might be some other questions we need to ask as a part of this interview, but we'll, <laughs> we'll not have to worry about those. So this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that's led to and culminated in this current point in time. But before we get to that time in the industry, I'd love to pick your brain a little bit about some of those days before you got into the industry itself, but some of your time still involving games. Do you recall what the first game was that you played and where did that all begin for you? Um, I, I, no, I, I don't recall what my first game I played. Uh, I'm, I'm certain it was on the NES. Good starting point. But well, what, was, uh, what, were su- what were some of the first games um, you recall Probably playing, Super Mario Brothers. Most yeah, likely Super Mario Brothers. Always a good starting point. Um, yeah. Did the love of games start early? Like, obviously, like you, baseball. You tried out Mario Brothers. Like, you know, the. Oh, yeah. You know, back in the. Like, the. the OG, uh, well, okay. So I grew up in Japan. So, yep. NES. Uh, so I was born in 1980. Uh, yep. So the NES came out in, I believe, 84. That would sound about right off the top of my so head. Yep. I was four years old when it came out. Um, yeah, so that's... Just the right time. I think that's my earliest memories of playing video games is around four years old. I remember, like, so the Japanese NES cassettes were smaller. Yes. Um, they were about, I don't know, like a cell phone size, I guess, compared to, yeah, like, hey. the like the big tall yeah, the big cartridges of yeah, the, big, tall, yeah, big, most other regions yeah and um yeah and the first ones didn't even have a lot of them didn't even have illustrations in the front they were just like plastic printed plastic um, which far cry and, from what we're dealing with today <laughs> and titles like baseball <laughs> the, i mean Look, yeah, I still remember a few of those, and look, we can't we can't throw too much shade Tennis. because obviously Pong was amongst that, and that's yeah. still one of the most oh. important games of all time. And that's oh that's no one no of no, was, it was great. I, name, but. No, it was great. I enjoyed playing them, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's we've come a long way. <laughs> we have, <laughs> and did, uh, it's been a long time too, did, so it's hard for me to remember exactly back then. My yeah. Um, if we want to talk about like in terms of like what were my favorites in like on NES, like yeah, and I mean, how, yeah, how did things kind of develop a little bit? Not just with the NES, but even beyond that. Like, were you hooked from that point onwards? Like, have games yeah, just I've, always, I've always been a part of your life from then on? Yeah, I've always liked video games. Um, my parents were against video games, specifically my mother. My father didn't really have 
childbearing policies. That was not really part yeah, of, okay. part of his, uh, <laughs> his outlook in life. Um, <laughs> uh, and my my mom was like, "Yeah, no, uh, you, can't, you can't have video games." So I always played video games at my friend's house. Um, yeah, okay. And uh, yeah, my friends had NES, and so I never really chose games that I they played, chose me. especially yeah they they kind of it's whatever they were playing um yeah okay um i remember distinctly enjoying um super mario brothers of course uh this really weird game called karnoff uh oh, no, by, that's not a, by a company spelled. yeah by a studio called data east which is a japanese studio that's no longer around um it was a side scrolling platformer but um, what was interesting about it was that there was, like, different items that you could pick up. Uh, yeah, okay. And, like, it would do different things. Uh, like, you could, like, pick up a ladder that you would be able to, like, um, like spawn and unspawn. So, like, uh, it would oh. give you access to, like, if you had the ladder item, it would give you access to, like, different parts of the level that you didn't otherwise. Or, and there was this, like, mask that you could pick up as well that would allow you to see, like, um, hidden things. Yeah, okay. Um, I remember that capturing my imagination quite a bit. Like, that was, like, that was really different than uh, a lot of the other games. Than the standard fare at the time, yeah. Yeah, at the time. Because this is, like, this we're talking about, like, (laughs) mid-80s. Yeah, no, there was a lot of growth still to come. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, uh... So yeah, that, that's what I'm. I um, uh, let's see, Makaimura, which uh, which I guess I think over here was Ghosts and Goblins. Oh yeah, okay, yep. Um, let's see. I mean, strangely enough, there. Uh, strange enough, McDonald's. There was a like a Ronald McDonald platforming game that was surprisingly good. Uh, I mean, look, I can't say that I played them, but I do remember when we had the the various fast food brands having kind of sponsored titles with the, you know plastering their content everywhere you know i guess everyone talks about you know some of the burger king ones uh, burger king ones for example from back in the day as well um yeah and uh, I, I i guess in the modern day we're seeing uh the colonel from kfc start to pop up in a couple of titles <laughs> but uh, so i guess um, i guess we've kind of gone a, gone full circle in that respect but so yeah that, I, I think I certainly those remember are my, there like, was a time those when are some of everywhere. my like earliest memories yeah. Um, how did things start to develop from there? Like, did, when when did uh, or did I guess your mum's perspective on games start to shift at some point to the stage where you were able to own your own systems, or was everything kind of on the down low with with friends for quite a while? Well, it was like that until the nineties for me. Uh, the first console that I ever owned was a Game Boy because my yeah, okay. my my mom was like, well. Maybe if it's not plugged into the TV, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think of any... I mean, not. I guess the idea of what was violent in video games was certainly very different back, th- uh, back then than now until, I mean, until Mortal Kombat came along and shook everything up. But Yeah, but, and this was also but you in certainly Japan. Seeing that this on the was Game also Boy. in Japan, yeah. and this was NES anyway. So, I mean, Nintendo yeah. didn't exactly allow for... Like, I yeah, they know. didn't really allow for any of that at all. Again, yeah, it was really until Mortal Kombat across the world really shook things up that we only started to see a bit of change. And yeah, and even in Japan, uh, in Japan, Mortal Kombat never really, like, I think even off. now it's probably not a recognized brand. 
Yeah, okay. Um, oh, obviously, uh, you've, obviously, there's the the big hitters still. The Street Fighters and and the yeah. like. Yeah, I mean, I was aware of Mortal Kombat, but it was like one of those like, like my friend. Incredibly niche. Yeah, yeah. Like my my friend that was like into like like he had a Game Gear, which was already like a. Uh, <laughs> yeah okay a niche upon uh, a niche ob- upon a niche obscure, we're talking about yeah obscure console and he had Mortal Kombat and then he was like yeah look at this like weird American game <laughs> yeah fair enough um, as you start to grow up and obviously you see so yeah I had, game a, boy I had a Game Boy and I played the shit out of it um, like uh, I think my favorites on there were like Contra Tetris of course um yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of RPGs. Um, uh, there were some good ones back on the Game yeah. Boy. They often get forgotten, but there were some really good ones. Enix had uh, this trilogy called Saga that was really yep. great. Um, let's see, which they're trying to bring back these days. We kind of see some little remastered collections popping up in the in the present day of those. They're trying to revive that brand. I, I mean, we'll it, was, it was a weird brand anyway. Like Saga One, Two, and Three were all very different games. Yeah. So I'm not really sure what like the brand value is. <laughs> yeah, good luck to them, I guess. Yeah. So I don't but like, I suppose when you've if, got that many, you can probably throw them out there and hope I mean, that like a couple whether it's Saga or I guess they're also doing a similar sort of thing with the mana titles at the moment. You throw enough of them out there, yeah. surely one or two will stick, I think it's probably the the logic. Yeah, the mana titles, yeah, that that was that was also on the I think I believe in the Game Boy as well and I remember playing that, yeah. Um, yeah, I think through Final Secret, Fantasy Legend. Yeah, Secret of Mana. Secret or? of Mana was a Super Nintendo game, uh, but it used to be originally the Final Fantasy Legend was basically the first game in it, see, and then this, it kind this of is the went problem. Like they, they they named naming they, they, they the 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 naming convention is very different in Japan than. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, good point. Uh, yeah, so like original the I think the one that spawned all of it was called Seiken Densetsu, which translates yes. to like the Holy Sword yeah. Legend. <laughs> um and I think yeah, that I mean, that was um, the Go Yeah, ahead. and when when or when things when they started to kind of dive back into the catalog and bring things across in recent years, adventure I think it was referred to as Adventures of Mana. It came to the Vita a few years ago, maybe five, six years ago. Um, and then obviously everything else after that that did make its way out there. The only exception was Second Densetsu Three, uh, which we obviously seen in recent years as Rise of Matter, okay. um, that that got remastered and remade and those sort of things. But I very proudly got myself a copy of of Second Densetsu Three here that I managed to pick up while I was in um, <laughs> France actually a few a few years ago. It was look, it's I don't it's not a legit cartridge, but it's a fan. Fans and translation that they booted onto oh, wow. a, uh, booted onto a cartridge, and now that's I can pop amazing. it in my Super Nintendo, and off I go. So that's amazing. Um, I, I'm fairly proud of that one. I, you know, for me to just whip that out, you kind of realise that now I'm a big big Mana fan. Um, but yeah, um, the, the things we do for these things. Let's see. Now I'm trying to remember what else. Uh, Ninja Turtles, I believe, on Game Boy, oh, I really yeah. liked a lot. Um, yeah. I mean, it's been so long. <laughs> oh yeah, the, about, the recall. We're talking about early things, yeah. early nineties here, so there's a, there's a lot of water to have gone under the bridge. So when did the so perhaps desire to create games come into the mix? I never. It was not intentional for me. Um, so because as I was doing my reading, I, I noticed that you actually you're studying political science. 
yes. for a while there. So, okay. <laughs> so let me explain kind of where I go from there. So, so I lived in Japan. Uh, I'm playing my Game Boy. Uh, and um, I always wanted to get educated in the United States because um, my mom's American and uh, I didn't like the Japanese educational system. Um, I'm yeah. half Japanese. My father's Japanese. My mother's American. And being mixed in the 80s in Japan was not exactly a positive experience for me. Um, right. Okay. And uh, so I didn't really want to stay in Japan. And I also didn't like the Japanese education system is very authoritarian, which really didn't appeal to me that well. Uh, so um, but my parents were like, well, you can't you know, you can't leave home until you graduate junior high, because in Japan, like the min, uh, the 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 required education in Japan is up to junior high and then high school and university is optional. Yes. Um, so they were like, and if I wanted to get, go back to Japan and get things like driver's licenses and stuff, like it's much more complicated if I had like anything less than that, anything minimum. less than that. So they were like, well, you, you definitely have to do that. And at that point, you know, maybe we can talk about it. So, yeah. So when I turned 15, I moved to the States. I lived with my grandmother uh, it's a big my, move for a 15 year old to yeah. make. <laughs> and I moved to California. I went to high school in California. And uh, yeah, um, at that point, I kind of stopped playing video games. I kind of lost interest. Um, yeah. Uh, mostly just kind of read. And I was really into movies. And uh, yeah, I uh, went through high school. And um, when I got to college, uh, I was living in Berkeley which is like uh, yep. on the other side of the bridge from San Francisco. Uh, yep. I made some friends that were nerds and they were into things like, you know, uh, tabletop RPGs, video games, and uh, live action role playing. And so I kind of got back into video games and I got a Xbox, the OG Xbox. I got a Halo, yeah, Halo Edition OG Xbox. It was like a transparent green <laughs> Yeah, I remember seeing those. I never had one myself, but I do remember seeing a few friends with those. So I was very envious. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I just kind of got right back into it, um, and I played a lot of video games. Um, that was was that a bit jarring at first with the I guess the way things had changed in the years that you. I mean, you know, the idea of a first, you know first person shooters on consoles wasn't really a thing to begin with until I mean, obviously we'd seen some successes like Goldeneye and those sort of things over the journey, but really it wasn't considered a viable option for the most part mm -hmm. until a game like Halo came along and and obviously the technical advancements that had been made over the journey was that was that a bit jarring for you at first? Not really, because like I had like, like um, because I had like kind of a big like I had almost like a four year break from video games at that point. So like okay, so it, it wasn't was kind enormous. Of, yeah, well, it wasn't enormous, and also it was kind of like I had stopped completely, stopped paying attention, and then kind of got back into it. So it wasn't like yeah, uh, okay. it didn't like it felt like a new thing. So it didn't really yeah, understood. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So and I also was just hanging out with a bunch of friends that were playing video games. So like I warmed up to it before I had uh, about my own stuff no that's that's great i mean we are often more often than not a product of the our surroundings and the people who surround us so it's interesting to see how yeah they the interested waned and then quite seamlessly picked back up again yeah. <laughs> so 
so you, as I mentioned, you you did go to uh, San Francisco State University for political science. Yeah, I studied political science. Was that, was that always? The, I mean, so from, from my reading, you you finished the course and then very shortly after Ubisoft emerged. So was there? Well, kind of was there get back much consideration? It. So like, I had no idea what I was doing in my twenties. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> just in general, in life, um, we can all be a bit like that sometimes. <laughs> uh, when I graduated high school, I was like, oh, well, I probably want to go into the sciences because I was always good at math and science. Um, yeah. But, and uh, those were what I got the best grades in. So I was like, I really like chemistry. Like, I get to blow things up. So, you know, that's that's always fun. Um, even though I realized that, like... Uh, it's not quite that It's not quite time. like that. Yeah, like, well, uh, I mean, I took a couple of courses like in university for chemistry and i'm like ah, it's just mostly math and it's actually not even that exciting math like this isn't even just balancing equations yeah, and balancing those sorts of things, right? yeah it's like this is this is kind of boring and calculus which as a math of... teacher i i can appreciate the the fun <laughs> in that to a to an extent <laughs> i i find geometry to be a lot more exciting than uh, a lot of other forms of math uh that i can appreciate as well um and calculus, calculus just bored me to tears. Like, it just was like, I just found it to be tedious. Yeah. No, I'll still agree. Uh, I'm not I'm not so close to the subject myself that I can't see the forest from the trees. I will agree with you there. There's, I, there's a I bit mean, of tedium in these things. And <clears throat> so I kind of just lost repetition. interest in all of it. Uh, and I dropped out of school. And I worked for a movie theater for a couple of years, just kind of trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to do. Because, like... You know, and uh, you know, money coming in as well. Yeah. Um, well, I just didn't want to, like, my parents were supporting me through university, and I just didn't want to be wasting their money if I didn't know what I was doing. Um, yeah. So I was like, you know what? Uh, I had to call my mom, being like, uh, uh, this is really awkward, but I'm just going to drop out of school because I don't know what I'm doing. And they were like, I mean, they weren't happy about it, but there wasn't much they could do about it. Like I was in the States yeah. and I was an adult legally. So it was that. They're a little and, powerless in that sense. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So I worked in a movie theater, watched a ton of movies. Um, and uh, eventually I was a projectionist. A job oh, okay. title that probably no longer exists in a substantial way. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Things have changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, back then, they they still had film, and uh, we loaded everything onto the onto the projector on platters and stuff. And uh, yeah, I did that for a couple of years, and got back into school. And I noticed that I was really inter- interested in social science, so I took classes in sociology. And then I was like, this is kind of there, but not right, not quite. And then I took political science, and I was like, okay, this is this is this is my jam. So I studied. That's kind of what I studied. Um, I was really interested in theory, uh, political theory and political philosophy. Yeah. Um, I took a bunch of philosophy courses as well. And then I graduated and I'm like, what am I going to do with a political science degree? Um, and I was looking around and a lot of my friends that were in the the same department were going into law school. So I was like, okay, maybe I want to, maybe that's like what I'm supposed to do. So but you weren't overly excited by the prospect of doing a few more years of study, I'm guessing. Well, okay, so I point. started studying for my LSATs, and um, and 
at that point, um, I was talking to my friends who were lawyers or uh, were in law school, and everyone hated it. Like, nobody likes law school. And as far as I can tell, yeah. nobody likes being a lawyer. So I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, <laughs> I'm not yes, like, fair. you know, I'm going to get a ton of. I'm, I'm they do it for the money at the end of the day, but not for the enjoyment. Well, see, that's the thing. I mean, people talk about the money, but like, if you talk to young lawyers, they're broke because they have so much debt. And like, lawyers have money, but that's playing happens. a long like, game. Yeah, it's a long game. And I'm like, why? I don't. Why do I want to do that? That doesn't sound really appealing. Um, so that's fair enough. Yeah, I was kind of lost, and I didn't really know what to do. And the only like professional skill I had was translation. Um, had done some oh, interpreting and translation. Got going. Yeah, so Japanese and English. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, native Japanese speaker. So, um, and I had done some of that kind of volunteer stuff during um, yeah. during university. I had I had translated at um, or interpreted at uh, animation conventions. Yeah, okay. Uh, because they would get you know Japanese like anime people like yeah, directors guests, yeah. directors and uh voice actors and stuff and they would need interpreters so i would do like interviews and like panel discussions and stuff with them and uh yeah so i was like well i could you know people i i could get a job doing that and uh um a friend of mine uh sent me an uh, email saying hey I, I found this um i found this post for ubisoft they're looking for a translator so I applied and um, went on I to become a localization yeah. specialist. Yeah, so that's kind of how I got into the industry. I didn't really th- think. Uh, I mean, I knew people made video games, but it wasn't like a, I didn't think that as a like a career option that like would be available to me, especially like yeah. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a programmer. I'm a terrible artist. Um, yeah, so yeah, I never there, there thought are the, the core skill sets that most people tend to associate with game development. And if you're not a part of one of those, it, it kind of becomes hard for people to go, well, what else, what else could I possibly do? It's only once we get in, or sorry, I say we like I'm in there, but I guess <laughs> the number of people I've spoken to and the number of different stories I've had, I'm starting to take a lot of this on myself, I guess. Maybe it's time I made the jump. Um, but uh, you start to learn that, oh, hang on, there's, there's this little pocket that is really tailored to my skill set or this other pocket here or the, and there's all these other parts of the industry that perhaps go unrecognized and uncelebrated to an extent and in part that's why I kind of try and do what I do with the show as well to to spotlight some of those areas that people don't necessarily consider straight away but clearly For that's sure. what happened with you as well we yeah like you got in through a, a less conventional pathway I suppose For sure so yeah I think taken what off. What people don't think about when they're thinking about video game companies is that they think like, oh, okay, they make video games, but they're also like a company, you know, like, yeah. so they have all these people that do like regular company stuff. Like, uh, they have accountants, they have lawyers, they have, you know, HR people, they have, yeah. you know, um, and, uh, quite it's not a, just creating the yeah, game. yeah, that's the thing. And, uh, most of those people don't go into game development, but a surprising number of people do, you know, so... You get surrounded by it for long enough, you start to fall in love with it. Well, and then you realize you have some of the core skills necessary to be involved in game development one way or the other. 
you know like that it's unusual that like you know somebody was telling me like this guy who was a janitor at a video game studio eventually became a like super famous concept artist like that that that's pretty unusual (laughs) that's an outlier for sure yeah but like that's a really cool story but yeah like but like my path of like translator to like producer is not it's not really uncommon because basically you become a translator and then you become like a well in my case it was a little bit different but a lot of people like who uh, go in as a translator become like localization managers and they basically do project management and at that point like going from that to like doing project management and video games is not a big jump yeah yeah there there is a a natural through line of sorts where you develop certain skills you get in for your for your specialty but then you start to learn about the other inner workings and and how those all come together at which point Yeah. yeah jumps like like a producer actually become quite feasible it's just about recognizing sure. that pathway for you as an individual yeah because like what, what like so now i'm a producer and like basically the requirements of being a producer is that you have to be able to manage a project you have to be able to manage people and you also have to understand the, like the development cycle of a video game yeah. and that's the thing like if you are a manager that works in the video games industry I mean, you're just going to naturally understand the the development cycle because, like, yeah. it's it's a part of your life. Um, so, so kind of getting back to my, what my career path was like. So, I started off in San Francisco in uh, in localization. Uh, I was doing localization for the third party uh, publishing department. So that meant like yes. I was working on games that were made by other people, like other studios that weren't Ubisoft, and. Uh, we translate them and release them in um, in North America and Europe. Um, and then I did that for a fairly short period of time. And then um, I was um, recruited by the Montreal studio because they were making um, Naruto, the Naruto game, like yes. Naruto, the, the Japanese comic book and cartoon. And they needed uh, someone who spoke Japanese to be the kind of the intermediary between the license holders that were yep. um, basically TV Tokyo and Shueisha. Shueisha was the publisher. TV Tokyo was the, the or is the, the, they're both still going, but uh, the uh, Shueisha is the publisher for the comic book and the t- TV Tokyo is the, is the studio or the TV channel that, all yeah. the rights to yeah, the and, anime and all incredibly important parties if you're looking to do something with that license yeah uh, yeah they, they basically have to put a rubber stamp on everything yeah so what i would do is basically translate translate the script um uh well usually like started off with like translating a script outline and then like uh the design documents and all the pitch documents to say like hey this is the game that we want to produce like here's our character rosters this is what our characters look like is it everything okay and they would basically give us comments saying like okay well you can do this you can't do that or they would yep. um they would trace over our uh so we would send them printouts everything was on paper because it's japan um we would send them printouts of uh like characters we would do <laughs> we would do um we'd give them um renders renders of yeah, characters okay. and they would print them out and they would draw on them saying like okay the face outline is wrong uh this color is wrong um uh, make sure that and you're then, using and then mail them back to you yeah well i mean Ooh. no they would scan it and send it as an email okay but still okay cool for, for a moment like when you're talking about kind of that old school approach i thought no we're no no really like, old school. No, okay, we, not, would, not we would send okay. everything over over the internet 
Uh, okay. They would print you. everything out. <laughs> they would have a physical yeah, okay. meeting where now they would go over it, and then there would be somebody uh, with a with a red pen that basically we went over it. Yeah, and they would have comments, and we would make corrections and then send it back. And uh, yeah, okay. yeah and that's that's what I did for about two and a half years. I made two Naruto games, uh, and uh, after that, I got into kind of had a weird <laughs> year after that. I was an assistant to a couple of executive producers uh, because I, yeah. at that point, I, I knew that I wanted to get into management. Like, that seemed like um, something that a I was interested pathway. in. And, uh, yeah, they were like, oh, well, we don't have anywhere to put you right now, so, like, you can be my assistant. And then, like, I kind of got caught up in, like, uh, complicated situations. So the first executive producer I worked for um, was in the process of kind of uh switching studios yeah okay like he they ubisoft had bought a studio in vancouver and he was going to be the head of the studio but none of it was announced so i didn't really know what what was going on he was away in business a lot so he would tell me to do stuff and he would do me ask me to do like different kinds of research and i would do research and about six months but into it, I but guess. But you're trying to ghost this person a little bit and learn about how they do their work, and they're just they're absent. A lot. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I guess basically, a confusing yeah. Start for you. Yeah, and he was like, "Well, when I have a there, because the way the executive producers worked at the time, so there was an executive producer, and they have multiple projects that they uh, they have yeah. under them. So they were like different games, and then there'd be producers, and they'd be like, well, as soon as we need a manager for one of these projects, I'll just like slot you in.' Um, but uh, obviously, this was a back burner because he was trying to figure out how was he gonna he was gonna manage the studio in Vancouver. So he he uh, <laughs> went off to Vancouver and he's like, "Well, I don't want to screw you over. Like you've been doing a good job, and uh, so I'm just gonna hand you over to a different executive producer." And I got handed over to another guy who was the casual executive producer, and he oh, yeah. um, he was working on all the the casual stuff and um, and. Uh, this was when like Facebook games were huge. Like, oh um, yeah, the Farmville, like, and the like. Farmville Mafia Wars were huge. So there were. Yeah, he was like, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna make a Facebook game, and you're gonna manage a Facebook game project because that would be like ten people. Um, uh, so like, do some research. Like, tell me what we need to do. So I did research in terms of like uh, their monetization systems, like how how recruitment worked, like how game design kind of. You know, like, what did they do? Like, how do how do you make a you know Facebook game that works? Um, and I said, okay, well, it's pretty much a formula. Everybody does exactly the same thing. Uh, you you make a super grindy game that like requires you to reach out to your friends to get more like access to materials and whatever. So that's it. That's what you got to do, and just slap a you know uh, Ubisoft IP on it, and you know, and watch it do its Bob's thing. your uncle, yeah. Um, uh, and did it, did it really feel that simple at the time to you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, obviously there's like the making the game part of it, which would be, which yeah. would have been less simple, but like design wise. Yeah. Basic like, premise. Yeah. Yeah. The basic premise were pretty much like, the thing is like all the major games basically had the same design loop. So that's yeah. why I was like, that's why I was, I mean, I wasn't flipping about it, but like. It was pretty obvious what worked and what everyone was doing. Yeah, okay. Um, Interesting. And uh, and there were basically different flavors, but like mostly it was just cosmetic. 
in, yeah, in okay. terms of difference. Like Farmville and Mafia Wars are essentially identical games in terms very of very similar to yeah. different skin. Yeah. But like it looks very different and appeals to a different demographics. So that's that's kind of the more like difficult part of the work to make yeah. a game. I, Everyone's I, on the same hamster wheel. It just looks a little bit different. Yeah. So, but uh, I never made that game <laughs> because yeah, okay. uh, Ubisoft Montreal decided to dissolve the the casual department and focus only on AAA. So he quit. So the executive producer just straight up quit. Uh, Leaving you in the lurch again. Yeah, and leaving me in the lurch. Um, he went back to uh, Microsoft. He eventually became an executive producer on Halo, Daniel Ayub, and he like has done oh, yeah. extremely well for himself. But uh, uh, in the meantime, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Um, and I went to HR, and they were like, well, we don't really know what to do with you. Um, you're like a localization licensor guy, and we don't have a job like that. Um, were you and- a bit fearful for your for your job at this point like, yeah yeah actually they told me like you either and... uh this was in december of 2010 i think yeah, okay. and they told me that uh basically i sort myself out find myself a job or they're gonna fire me That's and a difficult spot to be in yeah well i mean they wouldn't fire me they would uh, i would be um uh made redundant made redundant <laughs> yeah um and so yeah i um and this is like mid-december and i'm trying to sort this all out and they're like yeah try to like figure out within the year we don't want to carry this into the new year so merry christmas that, uh i still i, I still remember that and uh you know the hr lady that uh gave, gave me that conversation i will remember for the rest of my life and i will never work with her and i would never recommend anybody to work with her as well um, that's just it, it, that boggles my mind that like you couldn't even be given whether it was via that HR person or, or anyone else some sort of I don't know guidance like that's really just leaving you throwing like, you to the wolves and yeah just basically saying, like, they were like yeah we're, we're kind of done with you like I think they expected me to be be done at that point but fortunately uh, I reached out to my friends and um, they were like oh well you've been doing a lot of research on Facebook like um social media marketing and community management is kind of becoming more of a thing and i was like okay what's what's that all about and they're like oh well it's trying to like sell video games on these kind of platforms and kind of developing a community and getting people excited and and, like getting people to talk i'm like okay i can kind of understand that and i ended up in the community development department of ubisoft which was kind of like this offshoot of like marketing for them um, digital yep. marketing and uh, I managed um, um, it was also a management position which is what I wanted so I was like well it's not production but at least I'm going to get management experience and and I still have a job yeah and I still have a job so I took it and that was so I worked in community management for about five years after that um, yeah and uh, what I did was I would um, hire people uh, at um, to be community developers, they would be like the community representative for. Um, I managed all the all the games came out of Montreal, so like Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, Watch Dogs. Um, yep. So I would uh, hire somebody and assign somebody to uh, a project, and they would manage the social media channels on those uh, pl- uh, on those games. Um, obviously, like there's manage is a. Uh, 
loose term because obviously there's <laughs> like coordination with like the different aspects of marketing teams. Yeah, some of the like, parties, yeah. But in the beginning was kind of the Wild West and they we pretty much just did whatever. Like um, Assassin's Creed was one of the first Facebook pages to exist because like when I started uh, pages, uh, Facebook didn't have pages. They just had people. So Assassin's yeah, Creed was, was originally a person. Like it was a person profile. <laughs> They, and you uh, can become friends with Assassin's yeah, Creed. Yeah, you can become friends with Assassin's Creed. And and poke Assassin's Creed and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And, oh, those uh, days. And <laughs> uh, it was one of the first pages because uh, because the Ubisoft Montreal, uh, Ubisoft uh, marketing department is located in San Francisco, just down the street from Facebook. And somebody yeah. had some kind of connection and they were like, yes, like this has a lot of activity. Like we like what you're doing so let's let's make this into a page and uh yeah and then it went from there and boom it had like a million people and then like twitter was a thing and you leave yeah. that platform and you start exploring what all the yeah. other platforms can do and all of a sudden and not to that mention was, the, the games were obviously kind of a, getting their own traction yeah and then there were it was kind of the chaotic time for social media and um now like community management is much more of an established thing but back then like I mean, we were hiring people that were either, you know, like nobody had experience in social yeah. media because it wasn't. You're really all still a thing. forming that experience. Yeah, like yeah, you're learning think, as you go. Yeah, so like, um, you know, like occasionally I would get a candidate that was like, "Yeah, I've been doing this for like three years, and I did some stuff on MySpace," and be like, "Yes, somebody that has experience, <laughs> you've got some insights. Come." Yeah. Um, but yeah, mostly it was like, uh, either journalists or people who came from other kinds of marketing disciplines outside of video games. Um, yep. and yeah, so anyway, I did that for about five years at the end of that, I was kind of burnt out and it was really never my passion anyway. So, um, eventually, uh, Some of the production yeah, opportunities kind of, emerged. yeah, well, um, it just kind of just stopped being something I really wanted to do. Um, so yeah. I left that department and, um, was it a similar sort of thing where it was, you know, if you, okay, I'm going to leave this department. I need to find a home within this. Or did you already have something kind of determined by the time you then um, walked from that department? Actually, it was kind of a complicated situation. So I, I had just gotten a new boss who I didn't really get along with. Um, and I was kind of over the job anyway. So he was like, well, I'm not super happy with you. You're not super happy with me. Maybe we can go our separate ways. And basically... As close to mutual as you can get. Yeah. And HR was like, well, we don't have anything to put you in. Like, we don't have uh, any, like, like lower management position in video games uh, at the moment. Um, so you'll have to figure something out. Otherwise, you're going to sit not on the bench for six months. Person, was it? No, this was a different HR person. That that okay. person was long gone by then. Um, right. But they were super cool about it. They're like, yeah, no, it's going to be six months before anything pops up. But, like, you know, feel free to sit around. We'll keep you on the payroll. Yeah, we'll keep you on the payroll. And I'm like, I don't want to sit around for six months. So um, what I did was I reached out to some people I knew in Ubisoft Japan, which yep. uh, I knew because I had done some TGSs, um, because you know, Some I speak Japanese and working it. Well, I I speak Japanese and I worked in the in the marketing department in Montreal. So, 
whenever they had to do an event in Tokyo, they would be like, oh, we'll, we'll send Masao and he could be the coordinator for like going between the like the people who don't speak Japanese yeah, and makes the, sense. the local staff. Utilize so, the skill set. Yeah. So I had uh, I reached out to the general manager at the uh, the Japan office and asked him like, hey, do you need anybody? I'm kind of not doing anything for like six months. So I went to Tokyo for four months mm -hmm. and helped them out over there and kind of establishing their social media strategy and pipeline. And then came back and started working on Rainbow Six as um, I think originally a production coordinator and a team lead and then eventually a project, uh, um, uh, production manager. Production coordinator? Yeah. Production manager. coordinator, product, uh, team lead, and then production manager at the end. Um, and I worked on that franchise for a while. I think maybe three I mean, and a half years or Rainbow so. Rainbow Siege is going, it's going strong. Yeah, it's still so it going. It might have been a while, yeah. Yeah, I, I was there like one year before launch, and then uh, I think another two years, two and a half years after launch. And so, obviously, you'd been through a few different parts of Ubisoft at that time. Did mm -hmm. you did you start to feel like, okay, this is this is my... This is my happy place, for want of a better phrase. Yeah, I mean, I've always, yeah, I wanted to get back into production. So I was in production for a couple of years and then I left and I went into social media and I was like, I'm much happier yep. in production. So I went back to production. That was, um, uh, just it's that warm considering, blanket. Like, I'm, well, like I, you're, you're back in that comfy <laughs> space. Well, the thing is, like, I really enjoyed the work, but uh, as uh, news that has come out in the last couple of years, like Ubisoft has not right. is not a terribly okay. healthy work environment. Now I'm with you. Yeah, so um, that's why it was kind of difficult at the same time. Um, uh, but I did that, uh, and then I worked on Far Cry, and I worked on Hyperscape. So all in all, I did like production management at Ubisoft for another five years. And then at the end of five years, a friend of mine reached out and said, like, hey, like, I'm starting a game studio. Like, I have some investors. Like, would you be interested in doing it uh, with me? Um, yeah. I was like, I was ready to leave. I was. I had gotten to the a point combination where I was, of a lot of the reasons that we just discussed. I assume probably yeah. the state of the company that you've that we can't, I imagine, really talk too much about. But um, yeah, just overall like workplace toxicity stuff that I yeah. was just like, I was just completely over, you know. And I knew, and as I mentioned kind of before, I I didn't have like the highest regard for the HR department either. So I'm like, this yeah. isn't going anywhere. Like people are kind of. You know, if I there are a lot of great people I'm that work there, and there's a lot of, you know, I, I got a lot of great experience, but I was like, it's time for me to move on. Yeah. So, yeah, two years ago, uh, I co-founded a studio with uh, with four other friends. Um, most of them I've known for over a decade. And, uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. Um, I can't really yeah, talk about the project. Veter veterans but, uh, of AAA? Pretty much. Uh, the creative director, uh, Paul Green, uh, comes from Rockstar originally. Yep. Um, he worked on a bunch of GTAs, worked on some Assassin's Creeds, uh, uh, Splinter Cell. Um, and then he went to Boston, worked at Irrational for uh, Bioshock Infinite. Um, so he's been making video games for, I think, about 20 years. Yeah, okay. 
Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like in the mid tier with my 15 years of experience. <laughs> the art director, I think is the, like, the has been making, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's been making video games for like 17, 18 years as well. Yeah. Okay. So but still that's, that's a, that's a great wealth of experience to bring with you when you're looking to start yourselves a new team. And so were you, uh, and I'm just trying to get my head around the order or the sequence that these things had happened. Were you already on the verge of walking out when this opportunity emerged or was it that opportunity that that flushed you out for a better phrase for whatever better phrase i was starting to shop around yeah okay um i was were, like, were you thinking okay like smaller independent startup or were you thinking i just need to find another triple a were you not particularly discriminatory you did not care you just i don't care who it is i'll i just i need to get out where, where was your head um, at the time I was looking at different options, um, but uh, I wanted a big change. Um, most yeah, of the game development in Montreal are, well, it's most of the AAA in Montreal are kind of similar because everybody, yes. um, everybody, yeah, like a lot of pretty, third person open world. Well, I I don't even mean that. I don't even necessarily mean the games themselves, oh, but the, yeah. the companies are very similar to each other in oh, okay. some ways because like. Pretty much everybody's ex Ubisoft in Montreal. Yeah, okay, everyone's been through it at some point. Yeah, so like, it it kind of feels like this, like the same kind of flavors, mixed in different ways. Hopefully without the toxicity, but uh, sometimes with the toxicity I'll, I'll... as well. So you know, <laughs> we we won't we won't toss anyone under the bus. This is not the platform for that. Um, but I'll yeah. I'll keep that. So I was kind of like I, I'm not really sure, and and professionally I was like I just don't really feel like I'm being challenged, and I didn't really yep. feel like going to another AAA studio would really cha- change that because like I was also kind of at a point in my career where I like okay I've been making video games for 15 years, but I'm like middle management. I'm not like breaking through to the top, so like I'm not gonna like. Yeah, my challenges are going to be very similar wherever I go. Um, yeah. I was thinking about like possibly going into VFX because Montreal has a lot of VFX and management of that is kind of similar to video games. And I was like, maybe that's what I want to do. Um, but it was only really that half step sideways as opposed to a, a really big switch like you ultimately made. I mean, I don't really think of it as like a big switch in the way okay. that I think a lot of people seem to th- uh, like... Like, when I talk to people, they're like, oh, well, that's a huge difference. And, like, I mean, I'm still making video games. I'm still, you know, like, my challenges are different in a sense that, like, so I manage the project and I also manage the company. So, like, there's yeah, okay. that, that aspect is quite different. Like, now I have to worry about things like contracts and, like, you know, like. The bottom line and all those sorts of things. Yeah. And, um, you know, accountants and, you know, there's there's a lot of like business management stuff that is not related yeah. to like the video game experience that I have in the past, but like on a day to day, like making the video game part is not that different or maybe it's because we approach it in a very similar way. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, like project, ma- the product management software that like indie uses generally the same thing as AAA. I mean, sometimes different in scale. Sometimes they use simpler software because you don't need the level of complexity you need for like yeah. a 500 person project. Yes. Scope but, is certainly uh, a, a big change. 
but you know you still go through the same kind of processes like you have yeah. like conception that goes into pre-production that goes into like production and then like shipping like it's that makes sense video games are video there's a game. there's a cycle yeah there's a cycle that remains true it's just yeah. the the project itself that starts to change and i guess has that been I, I guess you know people kind of point to Ubisoft games a little bit and say, okay, sure we might have Assassin's Creed and it's in different settings, or sure we have Far Cry, or sure we have Watch. But there's there are strands of common DNA amongst those. Um, well, kind of to your point before, I guess when you were talking about some of the mobile stuff, that there are um, there's there's some shared DNA. They're, they're different in various ways, but there is some shared DNA, I suppose. I mean, there is that sense, but I I mean more in terms of like a like the the process of making a video game. I don't yeah. like, because the game that we're currently well, that, that making was what very, I was leaning towards. Yeah, so like, uh, like design-wise is very different than what we were doing. And like, yeah, in terms so, of the so content we're producing is very different. Yeah. But do, the do way it gets made... really shaped yeah, but that, the, um, Well, my job is kind of similar. Like, managing a yeah, project okay. is kind of independent of what the project the same is. Regardless. Yeah. So, in that sense, in my my job is very similar. Uh, um, when I, if you talk to like Paul, who's the designer, he would say his job yeah. is very different because he's gone from yeah, like sense. being a like a you know working on a team of, that has like 20, 20 designers to being like the sole designer. Yeah, a cog in a in a machine to yeah. the machine itself. Yeah, the machine itself. Um, <laughs> so, like, I think any game development is obviously very different than AAA. Yeah. Um, but uh, but even he he uh, even at the end of the day, he's like he's making levels and he's making you know he's tweaking values, he's creating features, like you know. There yeah, is there is a lot of common, <laughs> commonality. It's not like uh, I don't know. It's not like we're going from um, I don't know making TV shows to like oil yeah. painting or example. Two totally different industries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's it's still you know it's still kind of the same thing in many ways. But so, um, so when you're keeping an eye of, on the oh sorry no go on. But uh, because I think the biggest difference for us is that because we came from AAA experience that we weren't really happy with um, in terms of like uh, treatment of workers and like kind of like the way like creative like creativity is managed like we yeah. are very conscious about how we're approaching that um, yeah, okay. we have Good to hear. Uh, like um, you know managing toxicity out like um, um and thinking about how we can be more inclusive and more kind to each other yeah. is really one of the most important things. Like for us, like obviously we want to make a great game. We want to be, you know, we want to be successful and want to, you know, we want to be, we want to continue to operate the company and, you know, we want to. The obvious thing yeah. for anyone who kind of starts up their own business is they, they want to be successful. But yeah. But I think I can see where you're going in terms of the sense of you also want to go home happy every day. You want to feel, feel see, fulfilled. That's the thing. You want to... Yeah. Like for us, the most the important thing side. is that the people who are working at the studio feel like it's a good place to work. And it's a yeah. like they're, they're happy working there. Um, and they're happy with the processes of making video games. And they're happy with the people they're working with. And that's that's to us the most important thing. No, I, I really appreciate that. Um, it the the human side is uh, uh, you have happy employees or happy staff and 
you're probably going to get a better product anyway. So that's, if you can kind of sort out, we, we agree. Keep like, your own home clean, then everything else reaps the benefits. Yeah, I we do think that we're you know we would make better games with happier people. So you know yeah. there's there's that, but um, yeah, that's so that's kind of that catches up <laughs> up to today. Yeah, so that's kind of what that's how my career path kind of went. Now that you're spinning that that business plate as well, and kind of so the things you mentioned, you know, managing the bottom line, accountants, and all those sorts of little things, how much of that production time is that eroding? Are you finding that balance fairly easy to manage these days? Because obviously, again, the I guess one big key difference there might be a lot of similarities as we've discussed, but one big key difference obviously between your time in the AAA sphere versus this is obviously the scope and the the manpower and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. But um, now that you've added those those other elements to your day to day, what does that balancing act look like for you now? Do you do you find it fairly easy to manage? Was it was it particularly it's, challenging at first, and now you've settled into it? Like what what is what's that journey been like? Well, there's a, a lot more to do in the beginning because you have yeah. to set up the company, you have to find uh, find locations. Like you know, the first month and a half uh, of setting up a company really just feels like you're just filling out forms. Yeah. Um, but, All administration. Yeah, and you know, but at this point, we have, you know, we have a groove. We have, um, I mean, all of a all of our software is licensed. We're, you know, we're all of the contracts have been sorted out. Now we're we're doing our own now thing. Now we can get to it. Um, and obviously, there's still kind of like the business development aspect of it which is the kind of the the bottom line portion you know like finding finding either i guess in a lot of ways it's still pretty similar to what i did in AAA. so because even in AAA, you do a lot of pitching because you're like okay well yeah. we want to change the pipeline so i have to make a presentation saying like okay this is the new pipeline i want to do get all the like the key uh stakeholders to sign off saying like okay we can make that change i'll give you the resources to do that um and now it's more like hey this is the video game i want to make give me the money to do it and they either say yes or no (laughs) so in in that sense that uh that type of activity is still pretty similar um and i also spend a lot of time you know like um uh trying to hire a network which yeah. has always been the case, you know. Um, the thing is, like, if you want to know what's going on, like, you want to stay up to date in terms of, like, uh, industry practices, if you want to stay up to date in terms of, like, you know, uh, what's going on in the industry, so you're kind of have a pulse on what's going on, like, that's, like, yeah. you do have to, like, keep on, that's an investment. you know. Yeah, it's an investment, and that's something that I've always had to do. Um, so all of that seems pretty natural. The people I'm doing it with are different. Like, you know, before it was everybody within Ubisoft. So, you know, I would talk to like people on different projects to kind of know what everyone's doing. And then like kind of, you know, and recruiting would be going through like, uh, the recruiting department. Uh, whereas now I don't have a recruiting department. (laughs) You are, you are the department. And, uh, uh, but I've always been kind of pretty hands-on about like finding people because uh, yeah. especially uh, due to the time that I worked in um, community management where like recruiters couldn't help me because like I had no profile for them to like look for. Yeah. Okay. Right. So yeah, um, I'm pretty, I've always been pretty comfortable with just being like 
just reaching out to people on Net, uh, LinkedIn or ArtStation and be like, hey, like, you want a job? Like, you want to talk? I mean, most people are pretty cool about it. Like, I've never gotten anybody to say, like, no, why are you talking to me? <laughs> you know? Yeah, they, they may they may not be interested, but they're yeah. not going to be upset that yeah, you no, reached nobody's, out. Yeah, nobody's upset that you're trying to offer them a job. <laughs> so yeah. Why would you be? You, you, you uh, well, think I mean, I've, I've seen some pretty and... bad ones. Like to be honest, oh, okay. like I, I have, I have, uh, I have friends that will like, uh, like we, we would like share like terrible recruiting emails that we've gotten that are just like, oh, some recruiters are just really awful. <laughs> like they're I just, rude. I just can't get my head around like... the idea that anyone. I, I mean, the recruiter themselves might not be pitching things overly well, but. Um, yeah, no, it's not. It's so not getting. It's not getting. Yeah, yeah, it's not getting pitched that's uh, that anybody ever takes offense. It's just the tone that they take. Like sometimes yeah. they're just straight up like racist and sexist, and you're like, oh, um, yeah, okay, right, yeah, like, which I mean, would make well, more sense if they were talking to men, I guess. But like, yeah, like I would talk to women who are getting like sexist. <laughs> recruitment emails and you're like why would you think that this would be appealing to me <laughs> yeah you're not you're not going to win anyone over yeah this. like this i is, mean this like is... it doesn't make sense full stop yeah. to abuse or harass anyone but you're right like what like... <laughs> what makes you think this is going to work yeah like what part of the strategy like but anyway so yeah i mean short of that i think people are generally open to hearing from recruiters yeah I think uh, uh, the reason people like recruiters kind of have a bad name sometimes is because like, like they feel harassed or they'll do things like, um, yeah, okay. Like I was talking to somebody and they were like, yeah, somebody like reached out to me through WhatsApp and WhatsApp, you need their phone number. So they're like, how did you uh, get this number? Yeah, I, I yeah, there, there could be some question marks or little red yeah. flags that start to pop up in a few special circumstances. So, but I stuff, guess stuff if like a person that. tries to keep everything above board. Yeah, like reach yeah, reach out to people on LinkedIn. Like don't don't be weird. Like don't yeah. don't be sending like weird DMs to people. <laughs> there are professional platforms you can yeah. use, so utilize them. Yeah. So otherwise, yeah. So yeah, so, in the end, um I think I mean obviously my job is different and um but I think from a day-to-day standpoint, sometimes it doesn't feel that different. Yeah, okay. So how are things shaping up with project number one for the studio then? Uh, it's I coming don't know along. how much you can or can't say, so obviously I'm uh, being very ambiguous with the so, language there. And, uh, we can't, yeah, no, I, we can't I really talk about it at much, all, but, but uh, we're currently uh, shopping around for a publishing partner, yeah, okay. so that's what we're doing. Um, we're working on uh, some stuff. It looks, We think it looks pretty cool. So yeah, oh, that's kind of that's kind of what. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't think we could say uh, overly It's on much, Unity. That, that totally like it's, makes sense. It's so. on. It's on Unity. We we do say that because uh, hiring people, we have to tell them. <laughs> yeah, outline what platforms they're going think, to be using. I think we said that it was a two D platform on Unity. Okay, there we go. So we, we've got a little head start. That's, so that's for, as for far those, as uh, we've we've said. For those listening, now do your work. Go digging. See what you can find. <laughs> um. You're looking for a 2D platformer. Yeah. Go from there. <laughs> um, no, that, I mean, I, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to seeing whatever, whatever comes next. And it's, I guess it's a really exciting phase, starting to shop it around and pitching for idea, uh, pitching uh, publishers and the like. How's the 
without obviously being ultra specific, like, how are you finding the feedback that you re- you've received so far? Um, well, I, I think the feedback I feel like has less to do with the game and has to do more with us uh, because we're still yeah, kind of okay. trying to figure out how to do this. Yeah. Um, and um, pretty much all the advice that we get is contradictory. So we've gotten oh, advice saying like, oh, well, go to publishers early. Um, and others saying, no, and then don't like, do that. Yeah, like build as much <laughs> as you can before you go to them. Passing through that, that, that mixed messaging might be a challenge. Yeah. Like I've also heard things like, oh, well, you know, like publishers aren't hiring, uh, like they're not looking at the game, they're looking at the team. Um, and then I've heard the opposite of like they don't give a shit who you are; they just want to look at the game. <laughs> so it's like, and I guess I guess d- different businesses have different priorities, I suppose. But it's a shame that there's not a little more consistency to the feedback you're getting. And the problem is they're not. The problem is everyone's right, but the problem is yeah. that like, um, they're not right for everybody. Yeah. You know, like yeah, which is why um, I say like it kind of it's it's it works for them, but it doesn't work for someone else. Yeah, it doesn't and may not like, work for you, for you and the team. Yeah, certain it's, publishers, yeah. certain companies are trying to invest in teams. Certain companies and certain publishers are trying to invest in video games. Uh, some yeah. companies want to get in on a project early because they're interested in high risk, high return projects. Other companies yeah. want you to kind of figure out what you're doing before they come to them because they don't want to take a lot of risk. So it really depends on like. You know, in, in many ways, it's kind of like dating. Yeah, okay. You know, like people have... Are we, are we quite as far as speed dating or not, not quite that? Not, not <laughs> well, quite but, that you know, dating. like speed dating is also... Like, it's basically, you just have to write, find the right match for you. Like, you know, yeah. like... You know, it, it's... What, what kind of game are you? What kind of studio are you? What kind of project are you? Where are you in your project? And then you have to find somebody that really matches that, you know, in the same yeah, way that like, a... if you're trying to find a date, you know, like if you're a, you know, dude in your mid thirties that has, has a career and has a kid, that's going to be very different than like, you know, a 22 year old, like that's kind of partying all yeah, the time. Fresh faced and ready to you know? go. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Usually I feel in like. these cases, in these cases, and I mean, we're using the the dating thing now, leaning into it, but there's usually that inexplicable spark or connection sometimes between the two, and and it's something that sometimes there's just not a metric for. Like you just, so we're, we're ticking off a whole host of boxes, and that's fantastic. But there's there's this something about the team, and I'm trying to imagine myself in that that role as as the the potential publisher. But there's some there's something there that I just it just attracts me to yeah, this team and the well, way the they thing, yeah, they like want to do things that like. You have chemistry or you it's, don't. It's a human. You know, it's, yeah, there's it's, a human side. It's exactly, yeah, it's exactly like dating. You know, like, you know, you could be like, I like blondes, but it's not like any blonde will do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or There's more to it than just yeah. that. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, similar sort of thing here when you're pitching your games to potential prospective publishers. Yeah, but it's it helps when you know that your game lines up with what they like, you know. Yeah. So are there some that like I, I guess it, there might might have been like a list as you're drawing up ideas of who you could you know pitch the the title to? Is there some that you you listed at first and then realised no that's not the sort of thing that this this group goes for typically and strike the name or I mean what we'll, that kind of look we'll like? take a meeting with anybody who's who can who'll give us the time of if day. If you want to chat, we'll chat. Yeah, 
Because at the end of the day, if it's not for this game, it's for other 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 games as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I've talked. I suppose to, what's the harm? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to publishers that specialize in mobile online games in Southeast Asia. Yeah. Were none of those things, um, but I still met with them you because may speak to them. Yeah. Yeah, because the thing is, at the end of the day, like, well, maybe I don't have anything for them, but like. I also have friends, you know. Um, I have a Discord. I'm, I've been managing a Discord. Uh, yeah, okay. Of uh, indie producers. We're about 100 plus indie producers on a Discord. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's not like a huge community, but it's a very targeted community. So we have like, it's, it's quite lively. We talk a lot about, you know, project management software and funding and like things that nobody else wants to talk about. <laughs> The the day to day more yeah. businessy, like you know, and we kind of ask each other advice in terms of like, hey, I have this problem. Like, you know, sometimes it's like, hey, how do I how do I, like I'm having this like problem with my team. Like, these two people are not getting along, or I don't get along with this person. Like, do you have any solutions? Yeah. You okay. Know? So yeah, um, it's it's a it's a, a great board. community and a yeah, and uh, so like at the end of the day, I'm like, well, maybe somebody in my you know my Discord would be interested in talking to this certain type of person, and if I have more information on what they're looking for, then I'll know, you know, who yeah, I can, can send help them steer to. someone in the right direction. Yeah, so that's kind of and it's kind of how the indie scene works. Like you know, we're all looking trying to help each yeah, we're all trying to help each other out. Not necessarily that we're trying to like get something out of it, but like. No, but you know, I think there's always there's that saying the the rising tide lifts all boats and that sort of thing. And you know the successes of someone else is going. I mean, not, I suppose not always, but the <laughs> the it, I think, and not to mention, you know, you can throw good karma in there, cool. and you can like it's it's not a bad thing at all to to look out for one another and and try and support each other. Uh, yeah, I I totally agree. Like I think it's. Um... And at the end of the day, you, you want to feel good about yourself, you know? And that's, like, what kind of person doesn't help other people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't I don't want to be that kind of person. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. There, there is absolutely no harm in trying to support and elevate others whenever and wherever possible. Yeah, I agree. And it usually pays off because... Like you said, you're not necessarily trying to get something out of it, but those those interactions, those moments, they help out. And when when you're potentially in that moment of need, you, you know you've got people around you that are there to support or or potentially actually help the scenario. Like it's yeah. it's not a bad thing at all um, in any walk of life, not just in game development either. So it's great to hear that you form that Discord and that things are going so well in that space. But I think speaking of other things that aren't necessarily the actual process of creating the games. Uh, you also run a podcast. I do. I have a podcast. Uh, what, what else do you do? do? Yeah. Um, Talk to me a little bit about that. So the the podcast uh, is called What Else Do You Do? Because I ask uh, game developers what they do when they're not making video games. Um, I, I knew that I wanted to have a podcast. I was a guest, uh, guest host on a different podcast um, called yep. Game... Uh, Dev, game dev, game jam, podcast, dev jam, dev jam podcast. I believe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's been a few years, um, and uh, it was it was kind of a career podcast where like people talked about like okay, well, how did you get? Uh, what do you do? And how did you get here? 
I guess not too dissimilar. Kind of similar to here, yeah. yeah. And um, um, and uh, that was fun, but it wasn't my thing. Um, yeah. Okay. And it that kind of eventually ended because like the the hosts were you know kind of moved on like uh the two hosts wasn't working out. yeah it wasn't working out and they they stopped so um i was like well i kind of want to do something similar so i wanted to interview people um but i didn't want to do the same thing because like i don't want to do the same thing um yeah and i also wanted to do something that was kind of fun yeah i i don't blame you whatsoever and it's it's good to just get off topic sometimes. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's why I did it. And I also think that it's really important for like I think it's it's a podcast that's really aimed towards other game developers because yeah. I think even within our community we kind of have this idea that like we all need to be all about video game development all the time. Yes. Um which is not healthy. Um uh, and... Not he- not healthy in any industry. I'll, I'll yeah. just. <laughs> and, I mean, we discussed before the recording. Like, I'm a teacher. The, yeah, you I, can't, the students you can't be have this idea time, that yeah. all we do is just school related activities, and the shock that's on their face when they see you walking through a supermarket to get groceries. <laughs> like, I, I do eat. Like, I, I need to live. I need toilet paper. I need food. I need milk. I need like, hi. <laughs> it's okay. I don't yeah. cease to exist because uh, <laughs> I have I'm left even good your for field a chat of vision. If you really want to, like it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's kind of uh, that's kind of the thing. Um, I also wanted to have a platform where I showcase people who didn't necessarily look like the people who are in, like who are visible people within the the community yeah. as well. So I make a point of uh, trying to find guests who are women who are. Uh, uh, LGBTQIA, um, uh, you know, other other way cultural uh, backgrounds, yeah, yeah, other more kind of diverse uh, diverse backgrounds that I'm I'm pulling from rather than just having a podcast about white dudes. Yeah, I mean, look, that that's kind of been a and you talking about those who've been elevated over the journey. There is a for the most part a very clear face. You yeah, could, you could kind of exchange that face in a lot of different instances, and you you're going to be looking at something very, very similar the majority of the time. Yeah. It is something that I've been trying to do a little bit myself, and uh, and you know the sort of things we were discussing before the recording. But from little things like people of different disciplines, but to the things that you're also talking about, whether it's uh, cultural background or sexuality or any of those sorts of different things, um, they're all really important aspects. Mm-hmm when it comes to what I guess I'm trying to achieve with this show, they're all what makes this industry tick. And so why do we need to see the same straight white guy over and over and over again? Yeah. And obviously, sure. obviously, obviously there's still a place like there's a place. For yeah. Everyone I'm not saying this, but let's, let's I mean, make sure I, that we I also everyone. interview straight white guys sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to make, make sure that that's not, you know, that's not yeah. the norm. Like that, I, yeah, and that I can it, kind it of. It is one like, of those tricky things that, for the longest time, the companies have put that sort of person at the forefront, and sure. I think, I, I'm I'm thrilled that you've got a similar sort of mindset to myself that we're trying to do what we can to to shake that up a little bit and to yeah. elevate other voices, and it's awesome. 
so yeah that's that's what my podcast is about and uh yeah i i enjoy <laughs> i've been going since like i think the beginning of this year so yeah, okay. maybe like seven eight months at this point um going strong yeah i think episode 37 is coming out this week um make sure I don't, to tune I don't in know everyone this, what else uh, do you do I don't, I don't know when this is going to air so maybe by the time it airs uh, uh it'll this have is going to go up in episode. a day or two so. oh okay so yeah, yeah. Uh, this this week is when uh 37 is going out and uh yeah i've been doing it every week and tune in and uh listen if uh that sounds like uh that sounds like your jam yeah we better check that out properly so what else do you do it's on i assume all all it's, the podcasts it's on all the places much. it's on all the places so wherever you are listening Spotify, to this, you'll be able to get, iTunes, able to get it as well. Like, you know. All the smaller ones yeah. that skim off the big dogs. Yeah. They're all they're Pocket all there. Cast, like uh, you yeah. know, Android, Android podcast, like all of them. If you if you're hearing this show, you'll be able to hear what else you do, so go check that out as well. Another thing that I want to shout out before we start to wrap things up, um, something that I learned about it's this is very lighthearted and fun as I as I was kind of scrolling through the Twitter feed. Is a certain selection of TikTok oh, videos. Oh that yes, you can uh, I yeah, I have uh, a I have a very niche uh, TikTok. <laughs> I I open I bottles it. with. I fell down uh, deep well. Yeah, I open bottles with improvised objects. So um, how, how did that idea come about in the first place? Um, well, and what's the what's the weirdest <laughs> thing that you've done it with? Um, weirdest thing. Uh, I think the hardest one was like a ear of corn. Oh, that one right. was pretty tough. Um, I can see that being challenging. Um, yeah, but weird's kind of subjective. How many uh, did you go through first before you actually succeeded? In the case of the corn, uh, no, it was it was one one ear of corn, but like uh, okay. it just took a lot of effort because uh, the the corn's not very hard. So basically, like yeah. I was at it for a long time before you just I, shred it. I, yeah, until before I I managed to basically dent the 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 cap enough to <laughs> to Just open it worn it, worn yeah. it down broken the thing I, in submission. I don't do those anymore i i tend to stick with hard things now because like it's it's too much effort but um yeah it kind of started because uh a friend of mine was like oh like um so japanese people generally don't open bottles with like random things but she was saying yeah. that she was hanging out with some korean friends and they showed her how to open a bottle with a with a spoon or a fork, like you know the stem of yep. a spoon or a fork. And they're like, "Yeah, it's it's evidently pretty common in Korea." I'm like, "I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's 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 pretty easy. Like that's that's you know, I could see how it's easy to imagine." Yeah. yeah. And then she kind of was like, just kind of uh, uh, vaguely insulted that I I said that it was easy. <laughs> I was oh, okay. like. And I was like, oh, well, I no, it's not that I, I'm not trying to, like, diminish what you're doing. It's just that, you know, you can open a bottle with anything. And she was like, yeah, whatever. And so so I made, made a, that your mission since? Yeah, so I made a video where I opened a bottle with a piece of printer paper. That's a particularly weird one. Yeah, like... Um, as, an, as an outside observer, that's a that, that feels like a particularly... Not to mention hard. Uh, it's actually quite easy. Um, you basically just fold to, it. I'll, I'll have to dig out and find. Yeah, it. like it's it's the first video of my TikTok. If you want to go I'll take a look at right it. Back. Um, but uh, yeah, like I, you fold it into basically a hard thing because like if you you hold you fold paper enough, then it essentially becomes a stick. It starts to become a bit of a solid. 
Oh, yeah, okay, right, of course. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I opened a bottle, and she was 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 just kind of dumbfounded. So I was like, (laughs) oh, this is kind of fun. So I decided that I was going to make it a thing. What else can I do? Yeah, because outside of that, like before that, I've always said like, yeah, I can open bottles with anything. It's not true. I can't can't open bottles with anything. But uh, there's a lot of things I can't open a bottle with. And that's so, you're, you're gradually proving that through each video. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's not. Uh, I choose what I open the bottle with, so it's uh, it's oh, not exactly a, a a fair. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not going to see a video thing. of you failing to do it. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I, I like for example, like I tried to open a bottle with a giant icicle because I was like, oh, that would be funny because I live in Canada and like they had, I found this icicle that was like this big on my way to work. Wow. And I was like, oh, I'll just, just snap like, it off and give it I again. snapped it off and I'm like carrying it like this. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, I'm off um, to make content, people. Nothing to see here. Um, and uh, yeah, I tried to open a bottle with it. Didn't work. Uh, ice is too brittle. Yeah, okay. I mean, maybe... But the corn worked. The, yeah, the corn, corn, corn worked. Corn... Uh, but again, like it's brilliant. It took a lot of effort. That that like it it's edited down to make it look like it's effortless. But uh, yeah, I think I, it took me a good forty five minutes. Ooh, time well spent as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, I was fascinated as I was combing through those. I didn't see the paper one, but I'll have to go check it out and we'll see what else is there. That is fantastic. So as we start to wind things up, just to cycle slightly away from TikTok videos of bottle opening, but um. Is there anyone out there that you've either worked with or that you look at from afar that really inspires you and the way you go about your work? Um, uh, hmm. Like that I worked, uh, in what way? Like, I mean, you've obviously, you spoke about some of those early days. Now, obviously, some of those first experiences were a little bit awkward with people coming and going and heading off to Vancouver and those sort of things. But you've obviously worked with a lot of people in various different capacities. Um, is there anyone that, you know, um, even if it's just something like one particular way that they went about something that's really helped inspire the way you then try and do that same thing? Like, that you um, maybe modeled some elements of your your process upon, if that um, makes sense. So... My old boss, uh, this guy named Sebastian Puel, who's now part of Haven, which is uh, Jade Raymond's yep. new studio. Jade Raymond's team, yep. Yeah, he was my boss on Naruto. And um, okay. one time we were on a business trip in Tokyo, and we finished our when we finished our meeting, and we were having we were having a couple of drinks, and uh, uh, we we're talking about um, work, and he was saying. Um, the most important thing as a producer is to make sure that people feel that the time that they spent making the game that you work on was was worth it. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, like, you know, and this is in the context of AAA, but, um, you know, when your game comes out, if it's a good game, people talk about it for a few months and play it and people enjoy it and that's good. If comes out and it's not that good then less people will play it and in terms of like kind of tangible output like either you will you know contribute to sales in the company that you work for or if it's not that great then other other companies that put out other games will make more money yeah that's that's really the impact that we're having in people's lives on a like a real 
like from a product level like people will enjoy it yeah. and like if you make a great game maybe you'll you know somebody will remember in 10 years but chances are that that doesn't happen that often in the industry yeah understood um so what's the most important thing is to make sure that the people who are working f- on your project feel that like that that was that was a that not necessarily a good time it because time. it's obviously at work, but uh, but time well spent. Yeah, time well spent, and that uh, that they look back on it fondly. No, that really marries up with what you were saying before. So that that's that sounds like it was fantastic advice and a really valuable lesson for you as well. Yeah, and uh, that's that's really that's really something that I think about a lot when I'm managing or when I sounds think like, about managing. Yeah, sounds like your north star a little bit, and I think that's going to keep you and the team in really good stead. Hope so. <laughs> well, I mean, based on everything you've, you've described for me, and obviously it's, it's one perspective, but everything you've described for me before sounds like it'd be a fantastic sort of place to work. So yeah, we we and with that sort of attitude to it. Yeah, and and you know, and we're doing our best to make the best best game we can. You know, we. I think one difference between like triple and indie is that in indie you get to make the game that you want to make. And uh, this game means a lot to us. Like, this is really the game that we want to make. So we really do hope that it's, you know, as good as we want it to be and that people enjoy it because it means a lot to us. Well, I look forward to the moment that we all get to see what that is and we can learn a little bit about some of that heart of yours as well as everyone else on the team, you know, being baked into that project. And, yeah, really looking forward to it couple little lighter ones as we start to wrap things up if you could be credited for any game that's ever existed so just retroactively add your name into the credits in any capacity it can be as simple as just special thanks if you like but is there any one game that you just you wish that you could have been involved with in some way shape or form um silent hill 2 is my favorite game so if i could have been involved in that project somehow uh um yeah um let's see a lot of love for Silent Hill 2 out there, so... Um, I can understand that. Uh, I think in Is terms there anything of out game... there that you kind of looked at where you're like, you, you know, maybe it's just one particular aspect of a game, for example, but like that was so phenomenal. I wish I was a, like made or developed that part, that part, had something to do with that bit. What, with Silent Hill 2 or just in general? Oh, no, no yeah, more, more broadly than that. Yeah, generally. Is there anything out there that you just look at and go, oh... That that one bit, gee, I wish I could have been responsible for that. Um, I'm not like super, like I'm more of kind we'll of a, like involved a, in that. I should say. Well, no, I'm more of a like a kind of total experience type person rather than like yeah. a specific thing. So like for me, like, yeah, it's kind of like how everything the how they put everything together is really what. Yeah, so it's it's, it's the whole yeah Silent Hill two for example that really resonates with you yeah it's like the whole experience and how they managed to like have this like really consuming experience is what i find to be like i think it's the most challenging aspect of making video games because you could have a cool moment like that's you know and not that i'm I'm saying that's super easy to do but like that that's that's feasible like i can understand how cool moments happen like to bring a like a game together tightly is you know is difficult a really cohesive whole yeah. yeah that makes sense i can appreciate that so G- given that response that, i'm curious let's see oh, another game that i would i would have loved seeing made was uh metal gear solid 5 
Oh yeah, okay. Um, Phantom Pain, I, I presume not. Yeah, Phantom Pain, not the, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, just because I, I really wanted, I would, I would have loved to see what the design process looked like. Yeah, okay. Because it's such a tight game in terms of the gameplay loop. Yeah. Um, and um, more in that fly in the wall capacity, though. Yeah, and I just think another one is maybe Uncharted Two. I would really, I'm. Uh, not as the so that that's actually one game where there moments. is that one one yeah. one specific moment like the train or, sequence yeah i yeah. would love to have seen how they made the train sequence work I mean, like what that yeah, process every, looked everything like. i've read about that one is that like that that was almost a game unto itself like that was oh, the team working on huge. that for the entirety of the it's yeah, huge it's, and it's like i look at it cheaper. as a game developer and it's still like holy shit there's so much stuff going on yeah it's yeah it's still incredible to this day so given your response to Silent Hill 2 for, for that question, or the, that kind of being your your first answer anyway, I'm curious to see what your answer for this next one might be. If you could go back and replay any games, just strike it from your memory and get to replay this game from scratch, what game would it be? So you've got no past history of it at all, you get to re-experience this for the first time. What game would you pick? Hmm. It's always a challenging one. I don't know. See, I'm I'm actually not one of those people that like I. I don't. You really haven't you know. haven't had that one that game where you finished and you just thought, gee, I would have loved to have. I'd love to just have this back and get, get not the time back, uh, but um, like get to re get to redo this. Like I'll never get the same experience ever again because I'll know about this big key plot point or I know what's around the next corner. You know that sort of thing. Using Silent Hill Two as like, an example, I don't actually you know, mind I, I know spoilers. This is about I'm, to... I'm I'm one of those people that feel like, it feels like it's about the journey rather than the yeah. So no, that's fair. Because I would, I mean, naturally I would say Silent Hill Two, but like I can play Silent Hill Two again, and it's I I think and I would enjoy it. it yeah, I would enjoy it as much as I did the first time. So that's right. I can appreciate that too. So yeah, I'm sorry to sabotage your question. No, 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 no. I no, I completely understand it. Like there, there's there's others that have f- felt similarly to you in that respect. So no, I don't, I don't blame you for that response. Maybe it's because certainly, like certainly no reason to game development is kind of like that. You have to like do the same thing over and over and over again. So you kind of have to like figure out how to be able to like <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, and it might be might be one of those ones when you've seen that moment so many times, like. Is this as impactful as I think it is, or yeah, what, like, what am I looking at? Yeah, games, you, games you're working good. on is is a little bit different because like I I have no perspective. I'm like, yeah. is this good? Is this terrible? That's where no play testing and those yeah, sorts of things testing. usually come into the mix. Try to get your friends to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, as honest as they possibly can be. So thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far. If people would like to uh, catch up with you, follow you, learn more about what you and the studio are up to, where would they be best to go? Uh, follow me on Twitter. Um, my handle is Megamasao, uh, M-E-G-A-M-A-S-A-O. And our studio is Studio Cut to Bits. Um, and uh, we have, like, we're on Twitter with, like, three tweets because, again, we're not... Uh, we're not talking not too much, but uh, yeah, feel free to follow us when we are ready. So cut to bits. And of course, there is the podcast as well. I'll yes, in the podcast. Like, what, uh, else what else do you do? do? You do? 
all podcast services everywhere so be sure to go check that one out Sal thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far and I really look forward to seeing what comes next thank you for having me this this was a lot of fun I'm glad to hear it listeners as always thank you very much for listening and I'll see you next time That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Masao's story. Thank you much for listening, and I'll see you next time.